WVUD and UD Information Technologies present Campus Voices, conversations with University of Delaware faculty, staff, and students about their teaching, research, service projects, and other interests. To introduce today's guest, here's your host, Richard Gordon, manager of the IT Communication Group at the University of Delaware. Thank you, Jason. Joining me today on Campus Voices is Assistant Professor Asima Sadmara from the Foreign Languages and Literatures Department here at the university. And I first met Asima at this past summer's IT Summer Faculty Institute, where her enthusiasm for teaching Spanish really came through as you gave a a really fun presentation about uh, what you call clasicitas and using music in your class to get students interested in learning different grammatical points. So welcome. Thank you for having invited me. Well, it's our pleasure. Now, tell us a little bit about uh, your idea of using music to help teach grammatical principles in a Spanish class. I've always used music. Actually, I think I learned more English when I started thinking of the lyrics of the songs So when it came for me to teach Spanish, especially grammar, I thought of doing the same and presenting students with popular songs that are very well liked in the Spanish-speaking world. And I started listening to them with a grammar ear, uh, dividing them in which songs were good to reinforce the present tense or the imperfect preterite or the subjunctive mode. And that's how I started making a collection of songs. And in Delaware, I put them on Sakai. And you had your students suggest some of the songs too, didn't you? On some occasions, they have. Actually, last year, I had a TA, Nathan Herbert, And he asked the students to nominate songs or to tell him of songs that they liked. In turn, we have doubled the number, if not more, of songs that I myself had already collected. It's it's a pretty nice collection we have. Well, let's play one of those songs. Which one are we going to play first? I believe you are going to play Juanes, eh, Adios Le Pido, which is a song I use to reinforce the subjunctive. The subjunctive, something that is falling out of practice in English. But it exists. Yes, it does exist. <laughs> All right, here we go. Let's give a listen. Se despierten con la luz de tu mirada yo a Dios le pido que mi madre no se muera y que mi padre me recuerde a Dios le pido que te quedes a mi lado y que más nunca te me vayas mi vida a Dios le pido que mi alma no descanse cuando de amarte se trate mi cielo a Dios le pido por los días que me quedan y las noches que aún no llegan yo a Dios le pido por los mis hijos y los hijos de tus hijos a Dios le pido que mi pueblo no derrame tanta sangre y se levante mi gente a Dios le pido que mi alma no descanse cuando de amarte se trate mi cielo a Dios le pido 
para verte y a tu lado para siempre yo quedarme un segundo más de vida yo adiós le pido que si me muero sea de amor y si me enamoro sea de vos y que de tu voz sea este corazón todos los días adiós le pido que si me muero sea de amor y si me enamoro so what would you have your students um, listen to in the song first of all I want them to pay attention to the use of the subjunctive, obviously. And most students have already heard the song because it's very popular and very catchy. It has a nice rhythm. What they never paid attention to was precisely the aspect of grammar. And they will start recognizing verbs that we have studied or we have reviewed in class or appear in the book in their, in their subjunctive uh, mode. So, for instance, one of the verbs that he uses more is the verb to be, ser, and he says que si me muero sea de amor y si me enamoro sea de vos. So he's using if I die may it be due to love, And, and if that love may it be to you that I love. It's a beautiful song, but also he includes a few verses that are uh, appealing to the human rights or to peace. And in one of them he says, I, I hope that not so much blood is shed in my country. So he's also talking about the political and uh, situation happening not only in Colombia, where he's from, but in, in the whole world. So he's hoping also that things change so that there is not so much bloodshed. It sounds like then you're able to use that particular song for a grammatical point, but then also to introduce some of the students who may not be familiar with his work to the culture. Absolutely, yes. Another song that you have picked out, I believe, and this one you said um, you used just to teach the... Preterito, the preterite. Because in Spanish, we have two past tenses that give a lot of headache to non-Spanish speakers. Those are the imperfect and the preterite. So this particular song by Daddy Yankee, the title itself gives you the preterite. Lo que pasó, pasó, which is the basic of the preterite. It's something that had a beginning and an end. And this one is about finishing love. It's done. We're over.
would have thought that you would go to a University of Delaware class and class and listen to Daddy Yankee. <laughs> and this is reggaeton, you know, so it's a very, uh, I would say, contagious rhythm. It's taken over in Puerto Rico and now spreading all over the world. So this, I mean, this, the students really like this? I assume they do. They love it. And mm. when I talk about Daddy Yankee, you should see their faces. They, they are in awe, first of all, that their professor, a lot older than they are, knows about Daddy Yankee and that I actually like it and play it for them. And it's there in Sakai for their use just by clicking on it. Daddy Yankee, available in Sakai if you sign <laughs> up for one of Professor Asima Sadmara's Spanish language classes. <laughs> oh, that's, that's just too much fun. But I think one of the things that really impressed me when I heard you at the IT Summer Faculty Institute last year was just your enthusiasm for teaching the language. Why did you think it's so important for students to study a second language or even a third language? First of all, I think it, it expands their horizons. It opens their mind, not to mention that it gives a good exercise to the tongue in ways that in English they don't we don't necessarily use. So they learn to move their, their mouth and their tongue in different manners at the same time that they are learning of ways of being, habits, and vocabulary that expands many of their ideas. So, so I think definitely it's important. It's a different kind of learning, too, than, than say, learning history. I mean, yes. it, you use different parts of the brain, don't you? Yes. Many, many people uh, relate learning a language to how you would do math. They consider math even as a language. So, yes, you, there is a part of memorization involved. There is a part of making sense of you really have to understand. And for me, as, a, as their teacher... I am challenged to see ways in which I can explain, not, not so much the conjugations, that's a drill, they can memorize that, but to make sense of why or when to use. There are a set of rules, and what I tell my students is you need to understand them. I found I learned a lot about English when I would study another language because I just sort of always spoke English, but by having to study the grammar in another language, I could, there were some things I could apply back to English, and I could also understand some of the differences. And what I find myself doing sometimes is telling students, you need to know this in English. In, let's say the, the subjunctive. In Sakai, I have added in my resources a few links to the English subjunctive. It's exactly the same as the Spanish subjunctive. Students, when they are seeing it, they, they, you should see their face of awe. They cannot believe that there is such a thing as, I recommend that he study more. Or we suggest that she go to the library. They 
they don't have it, they don't use it, so I tell them, please don't let the subjunctive in English to die, save it. You sound just like a Mexican student I had 30 years ago, <laughs> you know, telling me, your language is so impoverished as people are not using the subjunctives. Absolutely. He was right. We're talking with Assistant Professor Asima Sadmana from the University of Delaware Foreign Languages and Literatures Department. We've spent some time talking now about some of the things she's done with teaching and technology to engage her students using music and Sakai. But I'd like to turn our attention to some of the research that you've done, because some of it just sounds absolutely fascinating to me. You, you've done a lot of research in the relationship between colonial Latin America and the mother country, Spain. While in Spain we have wonders in literature, they are also going through terrible moments in with the Holy Inquisition. The same things are happening in the so-called New World. So the, the fact that the chronicles are being written together or at the same moment simultaneously as some of the best well-known authors of Spain are producing gives a gives motives to to think about and many of them were very aware of what was going on at the other side of the Atlantic so I'm always fascinated by that we talk about global globalization it was already happening it's always happened we are just giving it a new name but through literature we can discover a lot of the history of the customs the habits the good and the bad that were taking place in both sides of the atlantic you get to work with some pretty interesting artifacts i think um manifests from ships and diaries and what kinds of things have you been working with when i did the edition for infortunios de alonso ramirez which is Uh, was published in 1690, it's about a trip. It's the first recount of a circumnavigation that in which the character left from Puerto Rico, my, my home country. It's been a debate all throughout because it was studied as a novel by Carlos de Sigüenza y Góngora, But there is more and more the idea that it's actually a real account of these travels. It is full of maritime concepts, all sorts of different types of vessels and ships and sailing boats. So for the edition, I had to go and, and study a lot of these terms. So I got a dictionary that's, that was published in the 18th century about navigational terms and anything related to the sea and the ocean. For me, it, it was an eye-opener because as I did my re-readings of the text, I discovered so much more than just how I had read it before as a fantasy, as a, as a piece of fiction. 
with the historical perspective, you understand that where you'd studied that as a novel before, it really did bear forward, if you will, some of the experiences that people really did have. This was in the late 17th century. Correct. 1690, it came, it came about, and it has been re-edited many times. Another aspect that I saw as I worked on my edition, I chose four or five editions that are sold anywhere. You can find anywhere, some of them by well-known editors, and saw how they had actually changed the original text. That changed the text. Oh, a lot, without giving a footnote, without explaining why. So people would read it without knowing that's not what it was, what it is in the original text. So I bring that in my footnotes. I talk about it in my introduction. I'm very specific about those changes that took place throughout different years, throughout different editions. When I was in college, yes, I'm showing my age when I say that was... 40 years ago? <laughs> I mean, just yesterday. <laughs> Gabriel Garcia Marquez and his uh, magical realism were, oh my heavens, everyone's just amazed at that. But it's still a, a vibrant literature today, isn't it? Absolutely. And he has had followers, people who have chosen his style of writing uh, to present this unusual. It's. it's surrealistic type of reality, on quotation marks, those things that are absurd, you know, like the famous person who's flying, just takes off and flies above the skies, and it seems to be normal, or... When one of the Buendias is killed in the plaza, the, the stream of blood, you know, goes throughout town. It goes down the steps. It makes a right turn and a left turn and it crosses the street and finally goes under the the door and appears. In, you sound it, like you're describing a Salvador Dali painting. You know, exactly. Like, <laughs> like yes. Serialism. You could You could make that a connection. But Different from, let's say, the, the marvelous real, which is what we experience daily to this day, every day. At some point, we go, oh, my God, if I didn't see it, I, I wouldn't believe it. Or if I heard it, I wouldn't have believed it. So that's a different situation altogether. Sometimes people confuse the two. But in the marvelous real, lo real maravilloso, is that which causes awe, which leaves us in amazement, but it is real. Did that start in Cuba? Well, eh, Alejo Carpentier wrote a lot about it or presented it in his novels. Actually, he says... Um, maybe not like these, but that America, the so-called New World, is full of this type of amazing things. 
the marvelous, that which leaves us with the mouth open and almost takes our breath away because it's so unbelievable, yet we are seeing it happen. But it's real. It's it not, is real. It's not something that's created on uh, a surrealistic landscape. This is an amazing world we live in. And uh, yes, and to me, it seems to be getting more and more amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I think another thing that we see throughout Latin America and in Mexico and all, and Puerto Rico and all over the place is sort of a hybrid culture. I mean, where we've got, I think you were telling me as we were talking a few weeks ago about how the Baroque was reborn in Mexico, and it came out totally different, yet still the same. As, as always, any movement, literary, artistic, any type of idea or genre would arrive later to the new world. Obviously, it would take a long time. But in the so-called new world, it would get a new life. So the Baroque was, it, it really flourished because it, it settled very, it appealed to the peoples of, of the Americas. And in Mexico, they just took it to, to everything. It was mm, architecture, it was the decorations, everywhere you looked, very, very busy. The idea of the Baroque can be obscure, dark, incomprehensible, or hard to comprehend. And they just loved it. And you go nowadays, uh, the churches, for instance, just to give a, one example, where you go and they everywhere, Baroque style is present. But it also transferred to literature, to poetry, to novels, to concepts, ideas in general. We're talking with Assistant Professor Asima Sadmora from the Department of Foreign Languages and Literatures here at the University of Delaware. And we've got one last very important topic to talk about, foreign languages and literatures, bringing the 2010 Nobel Prize for Literature winner to campus. Mi madre me contó que las primeras cosas que escribí Fueron continuaciones de las historias que leía, pues me apenaba que se terminaran o quería enmendarles el final. On November 13th and 14th, Nobel laureate Mario Vargas Llosa is coming to UD and will appear at three events that are free and open to the public. Peruvian-born and globally acclaimed, Vargas Llosa is one of the leading writers and intellectuals of our time. In addition to his extensive fictional works, he writes weekly columns on cultural and political issues. I don't accept the idea that literature can be just entertainment and that there is no consequences of literature in the, in the real world. For more information, including the schedule of events during Vargas Llosa's visit on November 13th and 14th, go to www.udel.edu slash 001499. We encourage people to attend. It's going to be open free, completely free to the public. He is a fascinating figure of letters, and we are hoping that we will attract, and he will attract, 
people from the tri-state area and beyond. He won the Nobel Prize in 2010 and has continued writing until this very moment. It's, he's one of those who wakes up and with a, a goal, and that goal is to write. Some of his early work, as I recall, uh, talked about some of the things that he would see in Peru, his native Peru. But he's branched out since then and, and become not just writing about things that happen in Peru, but things that happen all across the world. The one example would be the novel The Dream of the Celt, El Sueño del Celta, which is about Roger Kane's casement, who went to the Congo and also later on to Peru and denounced the horrendous treatment to the Congolese people and to the indigenous peoples of Peru. He, he covers many, many areas. He also has La Guerra del Fin de, del Mundo, which is not about Peru, but every, everything is in a way connected. And what I like of his writings, if you read carefully, you see that it's a reflection of everyone, of other countries, of every people. Actually, uh, just recently I bought what I believe is his last book of essays called La Civilización del Espectáculo, The Civilization of the Spectacle, in which he talks about how he makes a recount, a historical recount of how culture has changed and how it has changed to the extent that what people are teaching as being culture is so far from what he says from when he was in school and I had when I was in school. So we are at a situation where Culture has lost the meaning that we used to give it. So that would be a subject that I hope he will address on his visit. Peruvian writer Mario Vargas Llosa uh, will come to our university on Tuesday, November 13th, and Wednesday, November 14th. And I hope everyone will join us. And I'll make sure that at the show's website, www.udall.edu slash campusvoices, we've got a link to, to more information about that for people. That would be great. Thank you so much for coming down and, and talking with us. Thank you for in- inviting me. I appreciate being here. Thanks for listening to Campus Voices, a collaboration between WVUD, the broadcast voice of the University of Delaware, and UD Information Technologies. The views expressed on this program are those of the individual guests and do not necessarily reflect the official views or policies of WVUD, UD Information Technologies, or the University of Delaware. For more information about Campus Voices and to find archive copies of this and other episodes, visit our website, Using all lowercase letters, go to www.udel.edu slash campusvoices. We invite you to tune in every Thursday morning at 8.30 for Campus Voices on 91.3 FM, WVUD, and WVUD HD1, Newark, 
or online at wvud.org. Thank you.